0: The Water Values podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations: by do providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health; by Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water; by 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability; by Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting, engineering, science, and operations services; by Intera Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. And by Black and Veatch, Building a World of Difference. This is Session 226.
1: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water
2: utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now, here's your host, Dave McGimsey.
0: Hello, and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter, Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey, and thank you so much for joining me. Well, happy holidays and happy new year to all. We have a terrific podcast for you to close out 2022 It's a fantastic panel of water industry leaders and includes Tony Parrott, the CEO and Executive Director of the Louisville and Jefferson County Metropolitan Sewer District, Robert Puente, the President and CEO of the San Antonio Water System, and Allison Watson, CEO of Woodard and Curran. They do an amazing job discussing the year that was in water and identify some real reasons to be hopeful about the future in the water sector. Well, as you know, we start Every show with a big thank you to our awesome sponsors. And our sponsors for 2022 have been Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, and Black and Veatch. And that is a terrific collection of impactful companies that supported water industry education and thought leadership in 2022. And thank you all for your support. It is greatly appreciated. And I'd like for you, the listener, to do to do me a favor, please. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or your contact at that sponsor firm and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. That simple little note of thanks will go a long way. Trust me. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water, industry, education, and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. That's also greatly appreciated. Well, without further ado, let's get to our awesome panel, including Allison Watson, Tony Parrott, and Robert Puente. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Robert, Tony, and Allison, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. so great to have all of you back on. We are all veterans here of the uh, Water Values Podcast, so Uh, Thanks so much for coming on all. How's everybody doing today?
1: Doing good. Thank you. Great. Doing great. Awesome.
0: All right, let's start off. uh, This is the year in water episode. So uh, we've got a lot to cover and we're going to try to get it done in about 25 to 30 minutes. So we'll start with, um, you know, inflation has been at levels we haven't witnessed in recent memory. And so that naturally leads to a discussion about affordability. And so Robert, I'm just going to kick it off with you. What, 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 how is affordability viewed and, and what is San Antonio water system doing with respect to affordability?
1: Obviously, affordability is a big issue all the time. Uh, and we didn't do this because of inflation. You know, obviously, inflation just happened to start coming uh, uh, recently in the sense that it hasn't been this bad for a pretty long time. But we started off with having some very affordable rates overall. Uh, we have uh, the lowest rates in the state of Texas of the major cities, except for Dallas. And within the United States, we're at the very low end of a water rates. So we're doing b- very well nationally also. But as a lot of water utilities do every five years, uh, they look at their rates and they uh, restructure their rates if necessary. And so it's not necessarily raising the rates, but not uh, how much you charge, but how do you charge? And this was the fifth year um, uh, of the five years that we always do this. And what came out was some recommendations on uh, how to make the still revenue neutral, but how to charge our customers in a more fair way. And what the result was that all of our residential sewer customers, their rates will drop. 83% of our water, residential water customers, their rates will drop. Revenue neutral, so that means uh, consumer uh, excuse me commercial rates will go up a bit. but the key to this is that for the residents that use a certain amount of water over twelve thousand gallons a month, their rates will actually go up. So those individuals that used uh, that are choosing to use discretionary water, which essentially means outdoor irrigation they will be helping to pay for the fact that we're lowering, lowering our bills overall. Uh, so obviously our board, our city council was very happy with that. Our uh, citizens uh, were very happy with that. Uh, but what we, what we also done is unfortunately, San Antonio is a relatively poor community. We have high levels of poverty. So, and we had some affordability programs, but what we, what we have actually done is created a whole new affordability rate structure uh, to where people that use um, 2,000 gallons or, le- or or less will not be charged at all. They will ha- be charged their um, fixed fees, but no actual fees for the water that they use. And incrementally, it, it goes up a little bit uh, as you uh, use more water. But overall, uh, our average bill um, uh, is going to be about $61, but if you're an affordability customer and that's 125% of poverty, your bill will only be $25. So from $61 to $25, we feel that that is going to really help our community. Uh, And the way we're paying for this is by a a charge on everyone's bill uh, to to be able to pay for this program. So so the more uh, uh, this program grows, unfortunately, Uh, we will have a built-in way on how to pay for this. And it has been growing. Um, Over the last 10 years or so, the amount of uh, customers on this program has almost doubled. So that's part of the unfortunate circumstances we're under, but it's also part of our outreach. We uh, do a lot of outreach to make sure we find these customers and let them know about these programs and put them into this program. So we are right now in San Antonio with uh, our
0: water rate. That sounds great, Robert. Uh, it sounds like lifeline rate structure, uh, so that people are paying a little bit, but they get their first two thousand gallons free. Tony, yeah. how how does that how does that what does affordability look like and water equity look like in in Louisville? Because I know that uh, uh, Louisville has some programs along these lines.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, affordability is is really a hot topic, and uh, and there's so many uh, tenets of affordability. Uh, that we as uh, utilities are trying to address in our communities. Uh, I think uh, the uh, water rate or the, the the charges that we have for water or sewer services uh, in Louisville are, you know, at or just above the national average. And uh, uh, during the pandemic, obviously, we uh, saw for the first time our uh, the impact of the economy and the impact of uh, the pandemic on how it impacted our rate base. And uh, we saw that there was an, a probably a three to four times increase in delinquent accounts in our system and uh, the increase of uh, bad debt uh, that impacts utilities in terms of our finances and our operations. And so that was a very eye-opening uh, experience for us um and uh what it showed us was is that not only folks that are classified as low income but uh normal day uh, uh working middle class folks were struggling with their water and their wastewater bill so we had to work uh, collaboratively uh with our partner Louisville Water and figure out how we number one were going to address the delinquent uh, uh accounts and the uh, bad debt that it was creating for our utilities so we worked with uh, a company called promise pay uh, that helped us develop a, a real-time app uh, that would be used for uh, customers iPhones and and whatever to where they could actually in real time uh, access a, a way to Either set up uh, payments for their delinquent accounts or to uh, set up a payment plan uh, for their delinquent accounts. Because during the pandemic, we had actually stopped uh, terminating service for a period, um, and so, but we still needed to be able to collect the revenue. So uh, we worked with uh, uh, Promise Pay. They came in. We implemented that that app, the new technology. And what we were able to do is 90% of our delinquent uh, accounts either were brought up to uh, uh, date or they had set up a payment plan. And so that helped us uh, kind of get through that period. And we're still utilizing uh, that application to assist us in uh, helping our customers be able to pay their bill. Uh, In addition to that, uh, on the national scale, there's been this infusion of cash for uh, low income water affordability uh, assistance, similar to LIHEAP on the electric side. And uh, we're working with our local community resilience agency uh, to administer a contract to, uh, since they are already administering the LIHEAP funds, administer the the LIWAP funds that are now available to water utilities and to get that money out to uh, the communities for customer assistance. As far as our agency, we also have a um, a rate assistance program for senior citizens uh, where they get up to a 30% discount. Uh, We also have a Wastewater rate assistance program for low-income residents to where they can get up to a thirty percent discount on their bills. So, uh, and we think that we are doing a lot to assist uh, customers to be able to afford to pay their bill. Um, and um, the other thing that we're looking at is, you know, how is inflation affecting our cost as far as a utility, and we're seeing impacts of of how it's in infe- fact. Impacting uh, chemical cost, it's impacting. Uh, uh, so it's causing supply chain issues on our capital side. Uh, so when you talk about affordability, it's just such a broad topic. But uh, those are some of the issues and some of the highlights uh, here in Louisville.
3: Um, picking up on on Tony, your comment, we're seeing the same thing um, in the utilities that we operate and and some of the capital strategies. So less on the rate side, but some of the capital strategies that we're seeing, you know, in some cases, we're actually advising deferring projects, capital projects where possible, because we do think that some of the construction pressure may cool next year. So we're looking at timing of projects. Also, of course, timing to make sure that we're maximizing grant funding available for capital projects. And then another thing we're seeing more of, um, which is really great to see for a lot of reasons is Cross funding projects, so looking at um, linking transportation and water projects, for example. So, can we be pooling transportation and water funds, prioritizing distribution or collection system improvements to coincide with roadway improvements, and really looking at how can we optimize every dollar?
0: Yeah, that's that is great advice. Uh, are you seeing any other affordability issues in the systems that that Woodard and Current operates, Allison?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's the same that um, we've heard, you know, in San Antonio and Louisville experience, that's pretty consistent chemical costs, power costs, disposal costs and labor, you know, labor's tight across the board. Um, so being you know, you have to cover that, right, you still need operators and you need to be able to um, compete in the in the war for talent really across the board. So everything's going up. So we're looking for any place that we can really be saving. And that's, you know, in some cases, you looking at capital strategies. But, you know, when it comes to the operation side too, and this is not necessarily an immediate or near term thing, but, you know, technology has to be part of the solution longer term. So looking at finding ways to optimize our operations. So we're, you know, where possible, reducing energy and chemical demand. Um, and then longer term, you know, can we be leveraging machine learning and AI to help with predictive maintenance? So we're identifying and addressing problem areas before they turn into emergencies, and even incorporating automation to reduce man hours longer term, um, where it's things like routine monitoring, meter reading, um, those sorts of activities, so that we're making sure we're it's the highest and best use of people's time.
0: Thanks, Allison. Now, now you've, you've given me a great fork in the road because you've identified the technology as well as uh, you've all talked about affordability issues. And when I think about affordability in terms of utilities getting squeezed on both sides, both from the consumer being unable to pay as well as those rising costs. One of the things that strikes me is that we could gain efficiencies through scale, and that naturally leads to the questions surrounding regionalism and convergence. And uh, let, let's, let's start with Tony this time. Uh, what are your, what are you seeing out there from, uh, you know, consolidation, regionalism and convergence issues? I mean, are you, are you seeing much of that in, in the Louisville area?
2: Yeah, you know, we have seen, uh, over the last, uh, five years, a lot of movement, uh, in the Louisville area, both on the drinking water side and on the wastewater treatment side. Uh, And it really follows uh, sort of a national conversation of uh, how do we as a water and a wastewater industry start to look at collaboration and regionalization as a utility of the future concept. When you talk about economies of scale, when you talk about regulatory uh, pressures and future uh, emerging contaminants and all those things that are really driving up cost of service, uh, we have got to start looking uh, more collaboratively uh, based on a watershed and a holistic approach to address uh, wastewater treatment and uh, uh, stormwater and drainage services, flood protection, et cetera. And so um, here in Louisville, actually, in the, we worked in 2018, and we actually changed the state legislature that would allow us to actually go outside of our existing uh, service uh, boundaries and acquire other systems uh, throughout the state. And so for the last three years, we've really been focused on our adjoining and neighboring counties. And uh, we have actually uh, been able to acquire uh, systems uh, uh, in two counties uh, that are adjacent to Jefferson County. And uh, so now we actually own and operate uh, wastewater systems in uh, three counties in the Louisville area. And it it really was just something that was a collaborative venture working with the uh, Kentucky Division of Water and with uh, local governments to be able to, number one, address aging infrastructure. Number two, address uh, growing regulatory uh, requirements and the constraints that that's putting on uh, smaller rural systems. And then number three is the ability to be able to support economic development. There is a big push in the state of Kentucky. In fact, uh, you may uh, be aware that Kentucky is a very uh, prominent state as far as uh, production of bourbon. And so bourbonism is, is really expanding. And there's so many distilleries every other week. It seems like there's new distilleries being announced coming into the state of Kentucky. And so we're working collectively with the uh, state economic development department on how uh, we, we can be able to position ourselves to support Bourbonism, and also how we can work uh, to support other large economic development efforts. There is a big uh, investment that Ford Motor Company is making in our region uh, for the future EV, EV batteries for electrical cars. And so it's going to be one of the largest uh, EV batteries uh, factories in, in the nation. And so there's going to be a lot of satellite uh, development and production off of that and how that impacts the need for drinking water and wastewater and the jobs and growth in our communities. So uh, regionalization, I think, is, uh, is, is something that is a good thing. I think the right approach is being discussed at the EPA level. EPA supports it. They understand that it is the utility of the future concept. And uh, I think that if we understand that that's the new normal, that it's going to be something that is going to be collaborative. It's going to allow us to continue to address issues in the environment uh, that need to be addressed, uh, particularly in smaller rural systems. And then we get those economies of scale that are going to be able to uh, control cost uh, to all customers. So, um, I see it as a positive thing, and I definitely think it's something that we need to continue to trend going forward in the utility industry.
0: Thanks, Tony. That that is that is awesome to hear. Uh, I'm I'm glad that you're you're being able to take advantage of the scale offered by Louisville MSD. Uh, Allison, let me get your perspective on this, since you've you kind of operate systems uh, in a number of different geographies. What what is your perspective on regionalism and uh, consolidation?
3: Yeah, our perspective is probably a little different because we're a contract operator. So um, we really come in and operate the systems. But in terms of, you know, one of the benefits that we think we provide is really when we're operating multiple systems in um, close geography. So, for example, when the hurricane hit in Florida, we were able to pull staff from a you know, nearby facility. We were able to share generators. We're able to really work almost as a regional system in that respect. So, you know, it's not at the same scale where you're really um, achieving those financial economies of scale, because for us, they're independent systems. But even just being co-located like that by having one entity operating multiple systems, you really do see that benefit. So, you know, I I totally agree that the move towards regionalization for smaller systems really can provide a benefit. And, you know, that's kind of how we do it, not, you know, not being a regional operator per se, but having the ability to share resources benefits communities, even without full regionalization. So yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a good trend and it's healthy for communities to be considering that.
0: That's a great perspective, Allison. Thanks so much, Robert. Let me turn to you and ask you about regionalization and, and consolidation in Texas. What is, what's your experience in the San Antonio? Well, I,
1: I wish I had the experiences uh, that Tony has in in Kentucky uh, all the great reasons that he put uh, that he put forth on why they're doing it are still the great reasons in Texas. But we can't do it politically. Uh, you know, we have uh, groundwater conservation districts at uh, Aquifer Authority, San, Anto- uh, San Antonio River Authority, uh, Municipal Authority. So a lot of different entities controlling this. Uh, and as we grow in San Antonio, there's there are smaller systems in our suburban areas are rural areas and everything that Tony said, the economies of scale, the expertise, uh, the, uh, the supply chains, all those kinds of things could be better handled if we were able to consolidate. uh, But politically it's just not fair. There's a big feeling that some of these smaller suburban cities uh, like the autonomy of controlling what they can control. Uh, If you go into the rural area, uh, the farming communities, uh, the small towns did not want anything to do with the bigger cities like San Antonio. So it's very difficult here uh, in San Antonio to do that. Uh, I say unfortunately because the only time that we have taken over some systems, San Antonio water system, and have uh, consolidated has been because of the failure of some of these smaller water districts. One in particular that wasn't all that small. It was about probably about as fourth the size of San Antonio was um, the legislature passed a bill uh, for us to take them over because they were so troubled. They had so many problems, uh, lack of infrastructure, uh, planning and investment. Uh, and we had to essentially take them over. Um, our regulatory state regulatory authority uh, nudges us uh, to take over smaller, smaller systems uh, that their operators uh, investment owned, uh utilities, for example, where their operators are no longer wanting to invest in them, um, so although they're great ideas, unfortunately here in Texas, especially around this area, we just cannot take advantage of those. So I'm gonna have to call Tony and get some ideas on
0: how we go. <laughs> great, Th- thanks, Robert. I appreciate that perspective, and uh, I think that that matches up with what I see a lot of as well. Uh, just from an aside, there, uh, one of the other things that that I think uh, Allison mentioned earlier. Uh, when talking about affordability, was leveraging technology, and so I'd, I'd like to return to that to that fork of the road, and I'll start with Allison. And since you brought it up, and say, you know, uh, how can we leverage technology, and where are we on adoption, and you know, in terms of where you think uh, we've been in 2022, and where we're headed for 2023. So that's a that's a pretty broad question, but Allison, let me know what you think.
3: Sure. Um, I think if you reflect on 2022, innovation and technology were probably hot topics, buzzwords in the water industry, which is exciting. Um, I think in terms of adoption, we've got a long way to go. Um, even when you say smart water or digital water, I think that means very different things, depending on who you're talking with. And, and we're seeing this really all over the map. So we, you know, we deal with utilities that are just getting to the point of even digitizing data. Um, so it's a good start. Um, but even for more sophisticated utilities that have taken that step, we're seeing a barrier in terms of the time that it takes to really even determine that the data being collected is the right data, or are we missing pieces? And it can be hard to um, convince utilities to make that investment even if it's not a significant investment but with all of the other pressures we already discussed investing in a machine learning or AI package when you're unlikely to see benefits for some time because these systems need to really learn and they need to be fed data for a period of time before before there's really results so i think there's a barrier there but i think we need to figure out how to get past it because at the end of the day what we're really trying to do is not Automate all of this stuff. And I think there's a fear of that, frankly, that these packages are going to, you know, eliminate operators and we're going to have a machine automating plants. So we're really not trying to get to that. What we're trying to get to is that this technology solution can help to provide predictive analytics that help us to avoid emergencies so that we're actually doing, um, making the right decisions about how to invest our dollars in a proactive way so that we're avoiding some of the more costly impacts down the road. So, you know, in some places it's working. And and I think what we're seeing a lot of the status right now is these systems are learning. It takes time. Um, and I also think even in the engineering community, there's a little ways to go in terms of adoption. Frankly, you know, I can say this because I'm an engineer. Um, so I'm I'm including myself in this category when I say, you know, we're very comfortable with theoretical solutions. So we're comfortable with models. And when, you know, when we make a recommendation, we know the equation that generated that output as opposed to really being able to leverage the benefits of technology, which is pattern recognition beyond what we're able to recognize. And it's a much more empirical approach. And I think there's some, um, Comfort level that we need to get to as a community with that, with the understanding that it is a more empirical approach and it can provide better solutions um, than our our traditional models and solutions. Um, but I do think we need to get there. I think that's part of um, the solution to reducing the costs, really optimizing beyond what we're what we've been able to do in the past. So it's been fun to see a lot of new entrants, um, in the water space. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can kind of get over this adoption hurdle because I do see that as really the barrier right now.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree with you, Allison. Robert. I think San Antonio is in the middle of a, uh, smart meter, uh, rollout. Can you talk about that a little and how did you get over the hump?
1: Uh, uh, yes, we are, and that hump was uh, more, more of a little mountain that we had to get over. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, we, we thought about doing this uh, maybe about uh, 10 years ago, uh, and the, um, it just wasn't there. It was not cost effective for us, for us to do it at that time. Uh, but as we know, um, and we try not to tell a lot of our customers, the smart meters uh, do register correctly, and not like the other meters that tend to slow down the older that they get. So uh, by this time, we were, we were able to show that the return on investment was going to be there. It might take a, a longer than we would want, but it's going to be there. So this is, for us, it's about a $220 million project that's going to uh, change out over 6,000 uh, uh, meters to be uh, digital. One, one advantage that we had is that uh, the power company here Electric Company is our sister agency. We're both owned by the city of San Antonio, although we have separate boards and we're not city departments. So we were able to use their platform, um, uh, their uh, synergies uh, with us uh, and the power company to help get over those hurdles. But the uh, the adoption of the idea was difficult. You know, we had uh, meter readers, obviously, that had to go out monthly to go out uh, and read these meters. Um, and so they were worried about their job, which is, uh, which is understandable. What we're finding out is that, you know, we're probably going to hire just as many people to read that data, to, to understand that data and to take advantage of that data so that we can get that true uh, investment back that we're putting into the uh, system. So, and as uh, Allison said, um, it's not just the water meters, but overall innovations that we see. Um, as simple as a collection of data, as she mentioned. So I, I think we're, we're there. I, I think um, the younger our workforce gets, the easier it might be for them to understand and be willing to uh, take uh, some of these new innovative ways and hopefully uh, uh, help us older individuals adapt to all these new technologies that will save time and will save money.
0: Great. Thanks. Thanks, Robert. That's a great perspective and uh, appreciate you sharing a little bit about how you overcame that little mountain. Uh, Tony, you, you touched on it earlier as well. Uh, Louisville has uh, implemented some technological solutions. You mentioned the promise, promise pay app, Uh, but could you talk a little more about how you see smart water?
2: Well, you know, we have been very, very uh, progressive and very, very successful uh, over the last uh, decade or so as it relates to implementing technologies to assist us with the planning uh design and ultimate construction of major projects that are required under uh our federal consent decree for uh sanitary sewer uh overflow elimination combined sewer overflow mitigation uh with our you know our our in in line or in system real-time control systems our uh large uh, combined sewer overflow uh, storage basins are just completed waterway protection tunnel which was a four mile tunnel uh 20 foot in diameter all to address uh regulatory matters but now you have all these 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 systems that now have to fit into a a framework of our existing SCADA system and so you know, implementing all of these new assets and, and being able to be able to review and operate them real time, particularly during a major rain event, uh, really assist you with managing the flows that go get to your wastewater plant. It also helps you as we are also responsible for flood control in our city. Some of our CSO, uh, largest CSO uh, uh Basins and, and and tunnels are somewhat uh, connected to our flood uh, pump station uh, facilities as well. So, uh, the more complex that your system is, the the better, uh, and 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 the better the technology needs to be, and the advancement of that technology needs to be going forward. Um, and so, we have used a lot of uh, sensor technology, and to not only to address flow, model models. Uh, but also water quality models too as we uh, try to show that that cost-benefit analysis of doing certain assets and not only eliminating flow, but how is it impacting the uh, water quality aspect. We are now moving into artificial intelligence implementation at some of our wastewater treatment plants because as you capture and control more CSO or SSO, that flow still has to go or get to our wastewater treatment facilities, and heretofore, you know, wastewater treatment facilities are sort of the end of the train. And so, yeah, we do good with you know uh, looking at what's coming in, but we don't really do a good job of figuring out how we address the uh, uh, the reactive versus the uh, predictive maintenance aspects of our facilities, uh, how much chemicals we're using. Do we really need to be dosing at certain levels all the time? And so what AI is going to allow us to do is to be able to, as we increase our flows and we see what's coming in, water quality perspective, we're going to be able to pretty much operate our facilities through this artificial intelligence. And to Allison's uh, point earlier, our point is not to reduce operators. It's really to uh, assist the utility to move forward and help us with making sure we don't run uh, pumps and motors and blowers to failure and, and keep our systems optimal and operating the, in, a, in a very uh, uh, efficient way. And so uh, I think artificial intelligence uh, at wastewater treatment facilities, water uh, for drinking water facilities is, is something that must be done. Um, the other thing I will throw in there is for the first time uh, because of the pandemic, we're starting to partner with our local university, the University of Louisville to do, uh, we did a lot of uh, sampling during COVID uh, to be able to give us data and and information about the level of uh, COVID spread in our communities, the different types of variants that are out there. And uh, we're now evolving into looking at other things like uh, monkeypox and, and even the flu variants Uh, within uh, our our system. And so it gives us a snapshot what part of the community, what watershed, what treatment facilities, what neighborhoods are really contributing as it relates to trying to address and assist the local health community uh, in addressing, uh, uh, you know, the pandemic and other matters that may impact the community uh, wellness.
0: Well, thanks, Tony. That's a a great Uh, Summation, I think all of you have I just get so excited when I hear you talk about technology and the adoption and and, uh, what the possibilities are. Uh, We're coming up to the end of time. Uh, Before we before we go, I've got a little bit of a I'll just call it a lightning round. Robert, I'm going to start with you. And I'm just going to ask you, uh, what were your key takeaways uh, from the water industry for 2022, and what should be we what should be we focusing on for 2023?
1: Well, uh, first of all, thank you, David. And um, as special as I think we are in the water world and uh, wastewater world, we are not. Um, the takeaway for me was um, just like every company, we had supply chain issues. We had uh, labor issues. We had retention of uh, historical um, information that our employees had issues where they were retiring the great retirement. Uh, we were not unique in that way. And um, we have to be as nimble as private industry is sometimes and try to resolve these problems that hopefully are rising once in a generation for them. So the takeaway from me was uh, I'm in it with a lot of other uh, different companies and we can get out of it.
0: Great. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate that. Tony, let's hear your lightning round on uh, key takeaways. You know,
2: David, I uh, am very, very uh, uh, positive about 2022 in terms of uh, several things. One is uh, just the infusion of uh, infrastructure investment from the federal government through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, all of those things that are really uh, putting in what I would call grant money. Uh, for to address aging infrastructure in our communities. I've been in this business for 30 years and it is very rare, it has been very rare over the last couple of decades to get the level of grant money that uh, we are seeing coming in from the federal government. And so that's going to be a game changer, not only for the utilities, but for our communities and creating jobs and also uh, utilization of small businesses and minority owned businesses and women owned businesses as we do uh, uh, these infrastructure investments. Um, The other takeaway that I've got is the uh, climate change. Uh, And my message to anybody who's listening to this podcast is that climate change is real. uh, And on uh, the water and the wastewater side, uh, particularly the wastewater side and the flood management side, uh, we call it extreme an increased frequency of intense storm events. And what that means is, is that we cannot build and design systems large enough to handle the biggest storms that mother nature can throw at us. And we're seeing those through uh, uh, flooding and hurricanes and all kinds of events that are really either impacting our cities or our communities. And then on the flip side of that, you're seeing uh, some areas of the country where drought is becoming a problem, uh, you know, from a drinking water perspective, and then also from a navigation perspective. Last year, uh, the Mississippi River and other rivers that are struggling because of drought and all that. So, um, a lot of things going on. I think that uh, uh, the the but climate change is something that is going to impact our planning and our investments on the ut- utility side for a long time to come.
0: Agreed, Tony. Agreed. Uh, Allison, let's flip it to you for the uh, the lightning round.
3: Sure. Um, well, we've been watching on the private sector ESG rising over time. And I think one of my key takeaways for 2022 is that it's here in the water sector, whether we're using those words or not. But a lot of the things that we've been talking about, everything from circular economy and resource recovery and climate change to water equity and affordability right through to the water energy nexus and decarbonization of the water space. Um, and we're seeing that that too in terms of the priorities for IIJA and IRA funding. So I would say my takeaway from 2022 is whatever words we're using, um, that influence has hit the water sector in terms of what's hot. And um, I think Paying attention to that is important as we're looking for you know, how we're going to fund projects in the future and what our, our rate base, our rate payers are ultimately going to be looking for um, in addition to providing exceptional um, customer service like we always do. So ESG would be my takeaway.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all. You've been tremendous. Uh, just a fantastic panel. Uh, I wish we could have another hour to talk because, you know, uh, Allison, you brought up ESG. Tony mentioned climate change and the inflation reduction act. And uh, so I think there are just so many, so many different ways we could go about this. And, and Robert mentioned some great topics as well. And I, I just think uh, in, with the thumbnail of time we've been provided, I think uh, you guys have not absolutely knocked it out of the park. I wish all of you a wonderful holiday and we'll see you in 2023. Happy new year. To everyone!
2: to Thank you, David. Thank you, Thank you so
0: much. Yeah. Yes. Thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely. All right. Bye guys. <laughs> Well, thank you so much to each of our panelists, Robert, Allison, and Tony, for sharing your amazing insights. I'm so appreciative you took time to lend your perspectives on water for the year 2022 during the brief time we had together. I wish we could have talked longer. You were absolutely fantastic, and we are so appreciative of the work you do in the water sector. Well, I'd love to know what you, the listener, thought about the panel discussion. Please check out the show notes page for info and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click the first link that comes up. That's our home on the web. Again, Bluefield Research and the Water Values Podcast are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, Bluefield gives us a home on the web. So thanks, guys, and Happy New Year to you, everyone over at Bluefield. If you still use Twitter, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag WaterValues and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page I mentioned earlier as well. Thank you again for tuning in this year and for this episode, and I hope you make it a great day, a great holiday, and a great holiday season. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our terrific sponsors. Sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2022 include Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Interra, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, and Black & Veatch. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thanks for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. I truly appreciate it, and I hope you all have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. Thank you so much. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.